You are listening to the Akron Abide Bible Study Podcast. For more information, check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Abide. For the next month or so, we're kind of taking a break from a, a particular series, and instead we're covering a variety of different topics. And with this topic this morning, uh, we're also going to be looking at a variety of different verses. I don't necessarily have a text verse today. I normally do. Um, And we're going to kind of take a systematic approach to our subject this morning. We're going to look at this topic as a whole from Genesis to Revelation and what the Bible has to say concerning this particular topic. And the verses that I'm going to read to you today, I want to see if you can figure out the topic that we're dealing with. All right? The first verse that I want to look at is this, John 16, 33. The Bible says, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Let's look at another verse. 2 Thessalonians 3, 16. The Bible says, Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace. Always, by all means, the Lord be with you all. John 16, 33. 2 Thessalonians 3.16, and then technically our text verse today, Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 7. The Bible says, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Did you catch the word? Peace. That's right. The word that we're looking at today is peace. And the title of my message this morning is The Pathway to Peace, How You and I Can Experience Peace in our life, because every single person longs to have peace, right? Chances are, if you went to somebody on the street and you asked them what their number one desire in life was, uh, chances are they would say peace. That's why people at beauty pageants, they say, my number one desire is world peace, right? We all want peace in our life. We desire it. We long to have it. We kind of try to find it. But this world really doesn't bring peace, right? It really doesn't. We try to find peace, we search for peace, but we kind of come up short. Maybe we have moments of peace, little glimpses of peace in our life, but, but from Monday through Friday, from Monday through Sunday, just the work week and the stress that we're dealing with, it can be hard to have peace. You're looking at somebody that struggled with having peace in the middle of my work week, right? It's difficult. But I want you to know today that God wants us to experience peace. And God has made it possible for every single one of us today to leave here with his perfect peace in our life. And he reveals to us the pathway to peace in God's word. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. And there are three points of emphasis that I want to make concerning peace. Number one, I want you to notice the definition of peace. All right? For us to understand this concept of peace and how we can live a life of peace, we need to understand what it means. Now, what does that actually mean, though? If I ask five different people... Uh, chances are you'd get five different answers, right? We all have different ideas of what peace is, but we aren't trying to determine our idea of peace this morning, but the Bible's idea. What does the Bible talk about concerning peace? What does it actually mean? And the world into which Jesus was born had a very different understanding of the concept of peace than we have today. Very different. You see, our word peace, our English word peace, originates from an old French word, which means reconciliation, silence, agreement, and the absence of hostility. That's kind of our definition of peace. That's where we get our English word peace from. But the Bible definition of peace means so much more than that. So much more. And the word peace is mentioned a lot in the scriptures. It's mentioned 329 times in the Bible. 
And, it's, and, and one of the leading Hebrew words that is used to describe peace is the Hebrew word shalom. You've, you've heard that word before, right? People still talk about that today, right? They, the, the Jewish people, they'll say shalom. And that Hebrew word shalom has a much richer meaning than our English word for peace. This word is found more than 200 times in the Old Testament. And shalom is the condition of everything being set right. Shalom designates a condition in which life can be best lived. That's the idea of shalom, to live your best life. Right? We kind of talk about that in scripture. We want to live the abundant life. We want to live the victorious life. We want to live a life beyond amazing. Well, to experience that, we need shalom. That's the idea of shalom. It is the concept of integrity. Body, soul, and spirit are in alignment when you're in shalom. And in shalom, you have more than absence of hostility. No, you have a quality of life that nurtures peace. The idea of shalom is all about fulfillment, completion, maturity, soundness, wholeness, harmony, tranquility, security, well-being, welfare, friendship, agreement, success, and prosperity. That's the idea of what this meaning of shalom is. It's about the total well-being of the person and the total well-being of the community. And honestly, this idea of shalom is really one of the deepest longings of the human heart. We all want that, and we try to describe it, we try to desire it, but we come up short. Shalom means that all is well with my life. Everything is integrated in my life. But how do we get that type of peace? Right? We all long for it, but how can we experience peace? Well, we looked at the Bible idea of peace, the concept. But now let's look at the Bible way to peace. All right, the Bible is really clear on how you and I can experience this peace. And do you want to know what it is? His name is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is the only way to have true peace in your life. He absolutely is. Because apart from Jesus Christ, the Bible says we're all sinners in need of a Savior. Romans 3.23, the Bible says, for all have sins. And come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. We were born sinners, we were born into sin, and because of that, our sin separates us from God. Romans 6.23 goes on to say, for the wages of sin is separation. Because of our sin, we are separated from God, and therefore, we are separated from peace. And this is what the Bible says, Isaiah 48.22, the Bible says, There is no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. Now, I hate to say it today, but without Jesus Christ, we're all wicked sinners. The Bible's really clear on that. We have fallen short of the glory of God. But let me tell you today, the separation doesn't end. The, the negative doesn't end in Romans 6, 23. It says, for the wages of sin is separation, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Once you accept the gift of salvation, once you call upon him, all that changes. Right? You're born again. You get to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you move from sinner to saints, and therefore you move from sinner to shalom, to peace, right? It's kind of like this, all right? No God equals no peace, but if you know God, you'll know peace. That's the difference, right? Knowing Jesus Christ in a personal way, and the best part about all of this 
is the fact that not only do we get to experience peace once you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, but you actually get to experience the very peace of Jesus Christ himself. Did you know that? That's what the Bible says. You get to experience not only shalom, but the shalom of the Savior, right? The very peace of Jesus Christ. And this is what the Bible says. Jesus said it in John 14, 27. Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, giveth I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. He says, I've got a far greater peace than the world's idea of peace. I've got this shalom from Almighty God that I want to give to you. That's the fruit of the Spirit, man. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, shalom. We get to have the very peace of Jesus Christ. Think about this for a second. The peace that calmed his heart when he was falsely accused. The peace that steadied his voice when he spoke to Pilate. The peace that kept his thoughts clear and heart pure as he hung there on the cross. The peace that said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That peace is available to us. We get to have the very peace of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, I know what you're going to say. If that's the case, Michael, if that's true, why are so many Christians not living in peace? Why are so many Christians not experiencing this shalom? If that's true, if the Bible is clear on that, why is that? Well, that brings me to my second point. We saw the definition, but secondly, I want you to notice the distinctions of peace. All right? You see, the Bible actually records two different types of peace in Scripture. Two different types of peace that we can experience. Now, every single Christian experiences one of these types. But not everybody experiences both. Jesus offers us two types of peace. He offers us peace with God, and then he also offers us the peace of God. Now, being at peace with God and having the peace of God are two totally different things. And we need to distinguish between the two. We need to understand what they mean. And the first one that we see is peace with God. Now, this occurs at salvation. Right? If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have this peace in your life. Every single Christian has peace with God. And we see that term in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. The Bible says, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this peace is dealing with our standing with God. Our eternal security, the fact that you're saved and you're on your way to heaven and nothing can change that right you're forgiven of your sins you're no longer condemned you are justified just as if i had not sins and you could just spend eternity with him right that's the key that's peace with god you're no longer under condemnation every christian has that every single one of us today if you've accepted christ as your savior but then there's a, another peace that we see in the bible we see peace with god but then we also see the peace of god and we see this term mentioned in our text in Philippians 4, 7. The Bible says, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, this is the type of peace that we long to have. This is that shalom idea that we're talking about, that we're longing for, right? That victorious life, that abundant life. This peace is what equals that. We all want that. But not every Christian has this peace. Everybody has peace with God, but not everybody has peace of God. You see, this peace is something that is obtained after salvation. It's a gift from God, yes, 
but it is a gift that must be pursued. To put it this way, peace with God deals with justification. It's a one-time event. It happened at salvation. You called upon the name of the Lord, you were at peace with God. But the peace of God deals with sanctification. It is a continual process. It takes time. It's something that you must pursue. Peace with God is a positional peace, right? We are a child of God. We are a son of God. Positional. But the peace of God is a progressive peace. It progresses over time. That's the difference between peace with God and peace of God. Now, in order for us to obtain this peace of God in our life, we must actively pursue this peace in order to experience this peace. And the Bible is clear on that in Philippians chapter 4, and many other times this, this term is mentioned. Now, how do we do that, though? How can we obtain this peace? How can we experience this progressive peace in our life? Well, we see the answer in Philippians chapter 4, but in one verse, I believe it summarizes the key to experiencing this peace in our life. And that verse is found in Isaiah chapter 26 and verse number 3, one of my favorite verses. The Bible says, that will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. We can have perfect peace, progressive peace, peace of God in our life if we keep our minds fixed upon Jesus Christ. You see, the key to having the peace of God really is having the right perspective, right? Looking unto Jesus, focusing on Jesus, setting our affection on things above, not on things of this earth. In Philippians chapter 4, kind of our text verse deals with that. The Apostle Paul is laying out how to obtain peace, how to have joy in the middle of trials and in the middle of hard times. And he goes on to talk about all the ways we're supposed to think. He says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, lovely, good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. He tells us to think with prayer. He tells us to think with poise. He tells us to think with purity and so on and so forth. The idea there is having the right perspective, right? Focusing on Jesus Christ. If you want that peace of God in your life, you got to have the right perspective, the perspective of peace. Corey Ten Boom said it this way. She said, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at God, you'll be at rest. It takes turning our, our eyes upon Jesus Christ, right? Looking at him and letting all of our life filter through the lens of God. That's what it takes to have the right perspective. So we see the definition of peace, right? What peace is, shalom. We see the distinctions of peace, peace with God, peace of God. And then number three to close today, I want to focus on the details of peace. All right? Every single one of us, we can experience peace of God. We absolutely can. It just takes having the right perspective. We can have this peace in our life. But the way to obtain that is to have the right perspective. And so we're going to look at the perspective for peace to close today. As Christians, you and I can have peace for five different reasons. And that's what we're going to look at today. Five reasons why we can walk out of here today with the peace of Almighty God. That peace that passes all understanding. And the first one is this. The promises of God. I talk about the promises of God a lot. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, the Bible tells us, or it's recorded, that there are over 7,000 promises in the Bible with your name on it. Over 7,000 promises with your name on it in the Bible if you've accepted Christ. Many of those promises are pretty awesome too, right? Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them that are called according to his purpose. 
Jude 24, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Now unto God that gives you the victory always in Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15.57, there are many promises in the Bible with your name on it. And that thought alone brings me peace, man. Right? Those promises for us. Because if we have the promises of God and we do, then there's nothing to fear. Nothing. Even if we can't see how the answer could come, he's not limited by our resources or our lack of resources. No, the most overwhelming problem you will ever face does not tax his abilities or his power. Every single promise in God's word will come true because God cannot lie. The Bible says that. The Bible goes on to say this in 2 Corinthians. The Bible says, For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him amen, unto the glory of God by us. Every promise of God with your name on it is yes to God. Right? You go to him in prayer and say, Lord, I ask you for this situation. If it's in line with the promises of God, it will be done. Right? And we can have peace because of that. The promises of God bring us peace. But then the second reason we can have peace is this. Entreaty from God. So not only do we have the promises from God, but we also have the prayers of God. Did you know that? Did you know this morning that Jesus Christ is praying for you? He is. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, he is praying for you today. You are on his prayer list. Now you can say, Michael, that doesn't make sense. How is that true? Right? What does that mean? Well, we know Jesus likes to pray. We see that in the Gospels, right? Jesus likes to pray, and, and Jesus prayed for his disciples in the New Testament. In John 17, 9, the Bible says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. He's talking about his 12 disciples, and he's saying, I'm praying for them, right? He prayed to God so many different times in the scriptures. He prayed for his disciples. But in that same context in John 17, he went on to say that he actually prays for us as well. John 17, verse 9, he says, I pray for the disciples. But then in verse 20, the Bible says this, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. If you've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've called upon him, Jesus Christ prayed for you. That's pretty cool, right? And just as he prayed for us 2,000 years ago, he's doing the same thing today. Again, you could say, Michael, how is that true? Well, let's look at the Bible. Romans 8, 34, the Bible says, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. We say that word intercession. Now, what does that mean? Well, if you look up in the dictionary, it means this. It means prayer to one party in favor of another. So he's intercessing for us. He's praying for us. Hebrews 9.24, the Bible says that Christ is appearing in heaven itself in the presence of God for us. He is intercessing for us. He is praying for us. He is our advocate. He is our intercessor. He is our propitiation today. And he is praying for you and me. And the coolest part about this is Jesus doesn't just pray for us a little. No, he lives to pray for us. Again, let's look at Hebrews. Hebrews 7.25, the Bible says, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. 
he ever lives to make intercession, to pray for you and I today. He lives to pray for you and me. That gives me peace when I think about that, right? Jesus Christ praying for me. Think about this for a second, all right? We have at this present moment an advocate in Jesus Christ actually remembering us in his thoughts and presenting us to his Father, right? Without any faintness in the degree of his intercession, without any interruption of time, he never ceases to pray for us. That brings me peace. And he doesn't just pray for us in the broad sense, right? He doesn't just say, Father, help the saved folk today. Help all the people in the United States and, and in the world. No, that's not how he works. No, he prays for us individually and personally. You see, that's what makes him God. That's what makes Jesus Christ the omnipotent, omnipresent being. You see, each person that has been saved has a personal relationship with him. Therefore, he knows us by name, thought, how many hairs are upon our head, our likes and our dislikes, and what makes us happy and the things that make us sad. The Bible says that he's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He cares about us, every little thing, right? And all of this tells me that Jesus Christ is up there in heaven rooting for you. He is rooting for you today. He wants what's best for you. He is in your corner. He is on your side. He is a fan of you. If he had a foam finger, it would say your name on it, right? Jesus Christ is rooting for you today. He's praying for you. And because of that, Jesus knows exactly what we need. He knows what is needed, when it is needed, how it is needed, and to the extent in which it is needed in our lives. He prays for our encouragement, our needs to be met, and even our protection from the enemy. That's what Jesus Christ does. I loved what Robert Murray McChain said. He said this. He said, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. And that brings me peace. Entreaty from God, that gives me peace. The promises of God, that brings me peace. And then number three, the third reason, access to God. That gives me peace, right? Access to God. You see, not only do we find out that Jesus prays for us, but we get to pray as well, <laughs> right? We get to pray as well. We have access to the very throne room of God. We get to pray to Almighty God. The moment we accepted Jesus as our Savior, we were given the privilege of entering into God's holy presence. Jesus, with full authority as God's Son, now escorts us into the kingdom throne room. We get to talk to our Father in heaven because I am a child of God, right? We get to talk and commune with the creator of the world, the God of the universe, the greatest being ever. We get to talk with him and walk with him. I get to pray to God. I get to pray to my best friend on a daily basis, and that is pretty amazing, right? Think about this, all right? The God who existed before existence, the God who created it all out of nothing, the God who saved my soul, supplies my needs and steers my steps, is on the throne this morning, and I have access to him. You have access to God. And the best part is prayer brings peace. Did you know that? We looked at Philippians 4, 7, the text, right? 
the peace of God that passes all understanding. But look at what it says a verse later, or a verse before, I should say. The Bible says, be careful for nothing. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. The Apostle Paul is saying, don't worry about anything, pray about everything. You want to know what happens when we do that? Verse 7, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That peace that people look at and they say, how can you have peace in this situation? How can you have peace during this stress? That type of peace we get to have, that shalom, right? We get to experience that peace in our life. Prayer brings peace. That's number three. Third reason I can have peace. And then the fourth reason is this, the comfort of God. All right, the comfort of God. You see, you and I, we have the God of all comforts in our life. He comforts us every step of the way. The Bible says, blessed be the God and Father, even our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of what? All comfort. The God of all comfort is on our side. The Bible calls the Holy Spirit our comforter. You got the Holy Spirit in your heart. He's with you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and he is there to comfort you on a daily basis. Jesus is in our heart today, and you want to know something? The Bible tells us that he will never leave you nor forsake you. So you've got his comfort every step of the way. In the good times, he's there to comfort you. In the bad times, in the question marks, in the mysterious, stressful situations, the, the times that, that you can't seem to have peace, he's there to comfort you every step of the way. And that brings peace. There is never a day when we are alone or forsaken. Now, there may be days when we feel that way, absolutely, but it's never a reality. No, God is always with us. And knowing that truth comforts me, man. Knowing that truth gives me peace. He is the comforter that we can count on in distress. Someone once said, peace that Jesus gives is not the absence of trouble, but is rather the confidence that he is with you always. He's with us wherever we go, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and that brings me comfort. That's number four. That's the fourth reason. And then number five, and I'm done, the expectation of God. All right, so because of what we've learned so far, because of the promises of God, because of entreaty of God, because of the fact that we have access to God, and because of the God of all comfort in our life, I can sit back relax, strap her down, and expect great things from Almighty God. I've given this burden to him. I've cast my care onto him. I can sit back and say, all right, Lord, I can't wait to see what you're going to do. You ever have stressful situations, stressful times with, with work or, or school or, or maybe a dream that you have, and, and, and you know you can get it done, and, and you know it can happen, but the, the, the overwhelming thought of how it's going to all play out just starts catching up with you. Well, I'm here to tell you today, if it's in the will of God, if it's in line with the promises of God, you can give it to him, sit back and work, knowing that God is going to move, right? That's the beauty. That is the expectation that you and I have. We can sit with a bowl of popcorn waiting for God to work, right? That's the exciting thing that we have in Jesus Christ. I've got so many things that I'm just pumped about that the Lord's about to do. He's got a perfect plan for this community. He's got a perfect plan for this church, and he's got a perfect plan for my life. And he's revealing to me some things that, that need to happen and some things that are going to play out. And I don't know how it's going to get done. I know I can't do it in my own strength. It overwhelms me completely. But if it's in the will of God, 
man, I can sit back and say, Lord, I can't wait to see how you're going to orchestrate this, the people that you're going to bring in my path to move in a mighty way, right? We can expect great things from God. William Carey, one of the, the early missionaries, kind of the pioneer of the missionary movement, he uh, was a missionary in India. First few years, he struggled. Not many converts at all. And by the time his ministry was done, he reached the majority of India. People just on fire for God. He literally rewrote the idea of modern missions. My goal is to rewrite the idea of rural ministry today, right? Because every small town deserves a community church to call their own. And anybody who tells you otherwise is an idiot, right? We deserve it today. Every single one of us. That's what God wants. He's in, it's in line with the will of God. But so many people don't want to attempt it. They don't see that it's possible. They don't see it working, right? Well, I'm here to tell you today, if you attempt great things from God, expect great things from God, he will move. That's what William Carey did. William Carey went, and everybody thought he was crazy. Everybody thought he was nuts. And he ended up reaching an entire country with the gospel. And William Carey, at the end of his life, he said this. He said, attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. We can expect great things from God today because he's in our hearts, he's in our life, he has our best interest in mind, and we have that peace that passes all understanding. We can have peace for those five reasons today, all right? The promises of God, entreaty of God, access to God, comfort of God, and then the expectation of God. Now, what does that spell? That spells peace, right? P-E-A-C-E. We've got five reasons right there to have the peace of God that passes all understanding. But it boils down to one thing, perspective, right? Turn your eyes upon Jesus and know that he's got your best interests at heart. Let's pray.